Thanks for tuning in to the Sojourn Church Podcast. We are a church committed to the gospel in the context of family, living on mission to the city of Portland and our world. For more information, visit our website, sojournpdx.org. Good morning. It's good to see everyone. We are in week two of our series through the book of Habakkuk, where we are remembering God's faithfulness when he seems silence. Uh, If you have a copy of God's Word, go ahead and turn to Habakkuk chapter 2. As a reminder, uh, if you're not familiar with Habakkuk and where it's located, find the New Testament, you'll find the book of Matthew, and flip back about five chapters and you'll find Habakkuk. Uh, The words will be on the screen behind me when we get into the text itself. For some reason, if you don't own a Bible, please let us know because we would love nothing more than to gift you a Bible. Uh, This series is for those of us who are trying to understand how to have faith when life seems hopeless and when God responds differently than how we would want or expect him to respond. Now, we unpacked this a little bit on Wednesday in our gospel community for those of you who were there, but it isn't hard for us to find ourselves asking the question, Why doesn't God do something about that? Now, I don't know what that, that, your that is, but here's some common examples, and it might be this for you. Your that might be a job. Your that might be a spouse. Hello, single people. Your that might be your bills that just keep piling on. Your that might be a sickness. Now, in our city, kind of on a a larger scale, because as the people of God, he's placed us in the city where we dwell for the good of uh, the city and for his glory. When you ask the question, why doesn't God do something about that? It might be that houselessness crisis or that affordable housing issue, that mental health problem, that drug problem, that government. These that's in life may have caused you to wrestle with doubts about God, his sovereignty in the world, and wondering why isn't he doing something about these issues? If God is so good, God is so gracious, then why is he doing something about that? You may be here and have found yourself so sure about your faith at one time in your life. So confident. We kind of talked about that mountaintop last week, and then you hit the valley. And so I'm not sure exactly where everybody is, but maybe you were so sure about your faith, but maybe you're in a season where you're not so sure about your faith as you wrestle through doubts. This is why we're studying Habakkuk. One of the most raw and relatable books in the entirety of the Bible. Uh, It's a book I haven't really picked up in a long, long time. In fact, some of you may have not even been familiar with the book of Habakkuk, but it's as I'm reading it, I'm just going, oh my goodness, I I can't believe this is scripture in some ways because he's just raw, he's honest, and I think every single one of us can relate to the minor prophet of Habakkuk. Now, let me give you a brief overview of chapter one uh, for those of you who weren't here, and then we'll get back into chapter two. Our key verse last week was Habakkuk one, verse two, which says, O Lord, how long shall I cry for help and you will not hear? Or cry to you violence and you will not save? See, our first week was all about wonder. 
wondering how long, O Lord, until you hear my prayer and do something about it. Wondering when will things improve. Wondering when what we know about God actually lines up with what we're seeing in the world around us. And so if chapter one was all about wondering, chapter two is going to be all about waiting. Now, wondering is hard. You know, when when you wonder if something's going to take place. I wonder when the pop quiz is coming for you students. I wonder what's going to be on the exam. I wonder when I ask them if they'll marry me, if they will say yes. I wonder if I will get that promotion. I wonder, like, that's hard, right? We wonder. But waiting, waiting is really hard. So as a refresher, Habakkuk is an Old Testament minor prophet who wrote about 600 years before the birth of Christ. But he was a different prophet. Most prophets spoke to God on behalf of the people. Habakkuk spoke, most, most prophets, sorry, most prophets spoke to people on God's behalf. Habakkuk, however, was different. He spoke to God on behalf of the people. Because he was kind of like, hey, I'm one of you guys. I'm also wondering why God isn't doing something about the injustices that I'm seeing happening in the world around me. Now, Habakkuk lived in a place called Judah. Judah was the southern part of the kingdom of Israel, which is about 1,500 years old at this time. And Judah was given a very specific promise to bring blessings to all the other nations. There was one little problem. They were actually really bad at their job and failed to be what God intended them to be. And so 600 BC, this is about the time of Habakkuk's writing, the northern kingdom of Israel has been destroyed. Well, the southern part, Judah, has become terribly wicked. Violent, unjust government. They oppressed righteous people. They despised the poor and they were brutal to one another. Just a terribly wicked place. Not a place that you and I want to live in. And so Habakkuk begins this minor prophet by going to God with some really hard questions on behalf of the people. He says, God, are you listening? You aren't living up to what I know about you. Now, if you remember, if you are here with us last week, God responds. And that was kind of a key takeaway. God responds. Just not how Habakkuk would have wanted God to respond. Have you been there? God says, essentially, I'm going to use your enemy to bring judgment upon you. That's not the response that he was hoping for. But Habakkuk, if you remember, he embraces and wrestles while simultaneously having questions. He doesn't deny his faith. He doesn't flee his faith. He embraces and wrestles in the midst of uncertainty. So let me pray for us, and then we're going to get into this week's message. God, I thank you again that we can gather freely as your church. And God, that we can open your word and hear from your word and your spirit. God, may it be a fresh reminder this morning that we're not hearing Matt's words. We're not hearing some made-up word, but God, we are actually hearing your word. And God, may your spirit move in our midst. God, we're all at different places. We all have different concerns, questions, burdens in our life. But God, may we leave this morning being shaped more and more into your boldness and into your likeness as we go out and reflect Jesus to the city where you have called us. In your name, amen. So I'm actually going to back up and reread verses 13 through 15 of chapter 1. So if you look at chapter 1, verses 13 through 15, it says this. 
You who are of purer eyes than to see evil and cannot look at wrong, why do you idly look at traitors and remain silent when the wicked swallows up the man more righteous than he? You make mankind like the fish of the sea, like crawling things that have no ruler. He brings all of them with a hook. He drags them out with his net. He gathers them in his dragnet, so he rejoices and is glad. So Habakkuk, he complains to God further. He kind of builds his case of this utterly wickedness of the Babylonians and questions. This is God. How can you use this wicked nation to punish a less wicked nation? God, how can you use these people? Now, here's what I love about this picture of Habakkuk. Habakkuk lays it all out there. Like, he just bears his heart. Have you ever been, have you ever been there? Like, I feel like sometime, and this is probably a negative of my personality, but I will kind of suppress some of my true thoughts and feelings. Okay, this isn't healthy in marriage, by the way. Um, because I'll suppress them, and I'll be like, things are fine, which I bottle them up, and I put the top on it, you know? And then one day, just one day, like, I'm set off, and then it, whoo, it explodes. And things I probably should have been sharing for weeks or months, I'm just, I'm laying it out there. I'm bearing my heart out there. So that's not good marriage, but this is what Habakkuk does with God. Essentially, he lays it all out there. He bears his heart. He doesn't hold back, right? Like these are some really tough things that he's saying to God. And then we see him position himself to hear from God. Catch that? He positions himself to hear from God. Maybe this is where it applies to marriage. This isn't in my, my manuscript here, but maybe you do bear it out there, and then maybe I just need to shut up and position myself to hear from my spouse, okay? That was a freebie. Um, so then um, chapter 2, verse 1. He says, I will take my stand at my watch post and station myself on the tower and look out to see what he will say to me and what I will answer concerning my complaint. So Habakkuk finishes laying it all out there his complaint to God, he positions himself to hear from God, and then I imagine he kind of crosses his arms and waits. Or, or maybe he does what Ben led us to do this morning. Maybe he, maybe he opens his arms and waits. But either way, he says, I'm kind of going up to my watch post. I imagine him being up high saying, God, here it is. Now, what are you going to do? There's a key truth found here. We worship a God who speaks and responds. Amen. He responds through his spirit. He responds through his word. He responds through his people. Hello, the church. He responds through circumstances. We worship a God who speaks and responds. But here's the reality. It isn't easy to listen when you feel that you haven't been heard. When you feel that, that maybe justice hasn't been served. When, when you're that hasn't been responded to the way that you would want it to be responded to. It's not easy to listen in that moment. And so here's the warning for us. We run the risk of not hearing God when he speaks if we don't position ourselves to hear from him. Let me say that again, because I need a reminder. <laughs> we run the risk of not hearing from God when he speaks if we don't position ourselves to hear from him. You see, God will allow us to bring our complaints to him. We talked about that a little bit further on Wednesday, right? God will allow us. Like, God is God, right? We can't handle your complaints sometimes. 
Now, I might be like, man, their lack of faith and their doubt. And, oh, my goodness, what are we going to do? But God can handle that. And so in some ways, we encourage you, be honest with God. Because he already knows your thoughts. He already knows your feelings. So God will allow you to bring your complaints to him. But there must come a moment when we are willing to stop and listen to hear from his word and his spirit. So I'm going to say that one again, too. God will allow you to bring his complaints to him. But there must come a moment we are willing to stop and to listen, to hear from his word and from his spirit. And so God in his grace, he actually responds to Habakkuk's question. Remember his original question. Will Babylon be punished? Let's look at verses two and three of chapter two. It says, and the Lord answered me, write the vision, make it plain on tablets, so he may run who reads it. For still the vision awaits its appointed time. It hastens to the end. It will not lie. If it seems slow, wait for it. It will surely come. It will not delay. So God responds and says, write it down. Yes. Now, if you're like me, I've been out at that pastor's conference this week. Like I'm writing things down because I easily forget. Right? If I'm going to the grocery store, I need to take a list because I'll get distracted and buy a bunch of junk that I'm not actually needing to eat. <laughs> I need to go with a plan. And so God says, write it down. So when it hasn't happened yet, you will remember and wait for it. So God tells them this is coming. I mean, really, that's just, that's the entirety of scripture, right? Like we know the end. Things end really good for us who are in Christ, for, for his children. But we forget sometimes in the mundane moments of life, in the, in the moment of suffering. Oh no, what am I going to do, God? Oh no, how does this... I mean, God, our nation's going to hell in a handbasket, right? Like it's going the opposite direction. All these things are true, but we can pick up his word and read it and be reminded that it ends on a really good note. But we're in that in between. And so God says, Habakkuk, write it down so you'll remember it and wait for it in your questioning and your suffering. And so God says, here's the answer. Wait. You have to wait. I've heard your complaint. Now, I need you to trust me. I'm going to resolve this. Habakkuk, I am God. I've got this covered, but you have to wait. Now, this is a hard reminder that God's ways and God's timing are often much slower than our ways and our timing. Right? If we were God, we would make things happen really, really fast. Right? The job you want, the spouse you want, the kids you want, the pets you want, the vacation you want, the salary you want, and be like... Boom, look, God, what took you so long? So the, God's ways and God's timings are often much slower than our ways and our timing. Now, some of you might be in a season of waiting. You might be waiting on a diagnosis from the doctor. You might be waiting on financial relief. You might be waiting on a clarity on your calling in life. You might be waiting on a spouse. You might be waiting on an apology from a long time you might just be waiting for life to get more joyful. And so God responds by letting Habakkuk know he will deliver, but at his appointed time. His will and his way will happen. But at his appointed time, it's unstoppable and perfect timing. Here's an encouraging truth from a pastor named Tony Fernandez. Is if, it's, if it's not God's time, you can't force it. If it is God's time, you can't stop it. Like, how encouraging should that be for us? 
right? You know, it's kind of the whole, like, if God opens the door, if God wills it. Like, I know we say those, it's a little kind of cliche, but there's so much truth in it. Like, you cannot force it. If it's God's timing, it will happen. Galatians 6, 9 says, And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. A lot of suffering in life comes from waiting, doesn't it? And none of us like waiting. Like, I don't know one person where you're like, who likes waiting? And it's like, oh, I just, I love, like, nobody likes waiting. We don't like waiting in line for brunch. Okay, we have a lot of good brunch spots in our city. But on a Sunday, I'm not going to Pine State Biscuits because I don't want to wait 30 minutes to get in and then wait an hour for my food. We hate waiting at a light. Right, you're, just, you're just gunning for it, right? Like I, I, you just hate waiting. We hate waiting on God to answer that prayer that you've prayed like a thousand times. And you think, is, he, is, he, is there some kind of frequency issue? Like, I don't, I'm not sure what's going on, God. And a recent example, I've, I've used this example twice, I think, in, in 1 Peter. But her, her life story just so inspired me. Um, I'm not, I'm not going to go give all the background, but look up Nightbird if you've never heard of Nightbird. So I'm going to read a, uh, some excerpts from blogs that Nightbird wrote. She said, I've had cancer three times now. And her husband left her. This is in the blog. Her husband left her at this point. And I barely passed 30. There are times when I wonder what I must have done to deserve such a story. I fear sometimes that when I die and meet with God, that he will say I disappointed him or offended him or failed him. Maybe he'll say I just never learned the lesson or that I wasn't grateful enough. But one thing I know for sure is this. He can never say that he did not know me. I am God's downstairs neighbor banging on the ceiling with a broomstick. I show up at his door every day, sometimes with songs, sometimes with curses, sometimes with apologies, gifts, questions, demands. Sometimes I use my key under the mat to let myself in. Other times I sulk outside until he opens the door to me himself. I have called him a cheat and a liar and I meant it. I have told him I wanted to die and I meant it. Tears have become the only prayer I know. Prayers roll over my nostrils and drip down my forearms. They fall to the ground as I reach for him. These are the prayers I repeat day and night, sunrise, sunset. Call me bitter if you want to. That's fair. Count me among the angry, the cynical, the offended, the hardened. But count me also among the friends of God. For I have seen him in rare form. I have felt his excel laid in his shadow, squinted to read the message he wrote for me in the grout. I'm sad too. If an explanation would help, he would write me one. I know it, but maybe an explanation would only start an argument between us. And I don't want to argue with God. I want to lay in a hammock with him and trace the veins in his arms. I remind myself that I'm praying to the God who let the Israelites stay lost for decades. They begged to arrive in the promised land, but instead he let them wander, answering prayers they didn't pray. For 40 years, their shoes didn't wear out. Fire lit their path each night. Every morning, he sent them mercy bread from heaven. I look hard for the answers to the prayers that I didn't pray. I look for the mercy bread that he promised to bake fresh for me each morning. The Israelites called it manna, which means, what is it? That's the same question I'm asking again and again. There's mercy here somewhere, but what is it? What is it? What is it? Now, if you don't know her story, she passed away in February of this year after having cancer for three times and her husband leaving her in the middle of that process. But what sustained her, and she's raw and relatable and honest, and you can still find her blog, 
And so she reminded me of, in some ways, Habakkuk. She was open with her wrestling about God. But what sustained her is her faith in God. She never wavered in her faith. She had doubts. She had questions. She let God know that. But she continued to follow him and to have faith. And so we want immediate satisfaction. It's hard for us to wait. But waiting is a tool that God uses in our life to draw us closer to him. Is waiting frustrating? Yes. Very frustrating. Like, I know most of us think, like, I'm a pretty patient person. Where most of us aren't. I'm not. Don't say amen, Andrea. <laughs> but you know what else waiting is? It's also transforming. It's in the, in the waiting. It's sometimes in the valley. It's in the uncertainties that transforms us. That if we're always on the mountaintop and things are going the way that we want them to go, we would not be transformed. Because oftentimes that's when we think we are God. That we think that we are in control of life and that we know what it takes. But it takes faith to wait and our faith grows in the waiting. And so maybe you're waiting this morning. And hopefully that's encouraging to you to know that God is transforming you. And he's growing your faith in the midst of your waiting. And so God responds that Babylon will be punished. Okay, Habakkuk, I see your concerns. But he also brings a much wider application. God says not only Babylon, but every nation under God will be judged. And so we say not only this terribly wicked place that you're looking at, but every nation will be judged. And then we arrive at our key verse for the entirety of the book of Habakkuk, verse 4 of chapter 2, which says, Behold, his soul is puffed up. It is not upright within him, but the righteous shall live by his faith. Yes. And so God acknowledges. He indeed sees the wickedness. Okay, I hear your complaint. Yes, I see it, Habakkuk. But then he reminds him. He says, the righteous will live by faith. Now, this is in contrast, right? He starts the verse talking about those who are puffed up. So this is in contrast to our own arrogance and living by our own strength and arrogance, right? So the thing about being puffed up, you know, you see people kind of walk around. The guys work out a lot, which is not me, but they walk around, their chest always out. And you're always like, can't you get a bigger shirt? Like, they're just busting out their muscles. It's just like they're... You know, or you see some professional athletes sometimes. You can see the humble ones, or you can see kind of the arrogant ones. He says, that's how they live. But the righteous will live by faith. So will Babylon be punished? Yes. But he says, it's the people who live by faith that are safe. This verse is so central to Christian theology. I think it's easy to read it and just go, well, like, okay, yeah, and you, you keep going. It's actually quoted three times in the New Testament. And it was the battle cry for the Protestant Reformation, if you're familiar with the Protestant Reformation. I'm going to real briefly just read those three New Testament passages. The first one comes from Romans 1, verses 16 and 17. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. In other words, the Christian life is by faith from beginning to end. It takes faith to start. It takes faith in the middle. It takes faith to end. Like, it's faith. Second is uh, Galatians 3, verse 11, which says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. 
And then our third one comes from Hebrews, which is actually the, the most similar to Habakkuk, Habakkuk's context, Hebrews 10, verses 37 and 38. For yet a little while, and the coming will come and will not delay, but my righteous one shall live by faith. And if he shrinks back, my soul has no pleasure in him. God says Habakkuk, I hear you. I'm going to do something about your concern in my timing, but your primary concern should not be about your concern. Your biggest concern should be about me and my goodness. Right? We get so focused and so self-absorbed that we're just focusing on us and our problems instead of looking up to God. Once again, we be honest with God. We say, I don't understand this. I don't trust this. God, I wish you would change this. But I'm not gonna, I'm gonna choose not to focus on this. I'm gonna choose to focus on you because I know what your word tells me, I know what your spirit tells me, you are good. And as a result, I can have faith. So what about us? The thing in our life, the biggest issue concerns that we have have nothing to do with God fixing them or answering them. The thing you should focus on is not those things, but your faithfulness and response to his faithfulness. That's part of this whole series. We're remembering God's faithfulness when he seems silent. Since the righteous don't live by outcome, they don't live by results, the righteous people live by faith. Maybe you've had that season where you say, God, if you would do this, God, I need to see this. Hey, God, I'm going to leave. You kind of threaten God, right? What? God can handle that. Once again, you can do that. But the proper response is that we're living by faith, even when he doesn't respond the way that we want him to respond. Even when things don't improve the way that we would want them to improve, or when we would want them to improve. So how do we practically do that? You trust God even when it feels like you shouldn't. You trust God when he says yes or no to what you're asking. You trust God when life doesn't go your way. Think about your five-year plan. Look back five years ago. Was that 2017? How's your plan going? You probably didn't put a pandemic in the middle of that five-year plan. I know I didn't. I moved here five years ago. Trust me, the last five years has not gone at all how I had planned. But you're going to trust God regardless. Trust God in his word and in his spirit. Now, I think most of us, theoretically, we, we get that like the Christian life is lived by faith. Right? I don't know anyone who would deny that. But I love where he places this truth in this verse in this book. He places it right in the middle of Habakkuk questioning and struggling. Right? I mean, it's right smack down in the middle of chapter 2. We've already gone through the complaints, and then, then we're going to chapter 3 next uh, week. But right in the middle of it, he says, But the righteous shall live by faith. And Habakkuk exemplifies a persevering faith. And there's a reminder that Jesus is not only our rescuer, he is that, but he's the author and perfecter of our faith. Where do, we, where do we go to for our faith? Where does our faith get sustained? Where does our faith persevere? By looking to Jesus, who's the author of it and the perfecter of it. And in our waiting, we can declare that he is good. I saw another example yesterday of, um, I don't actually know these people, but my brother-in-law knows a family. And the husband, it was in his, in his early 30s, and he went to the hospital on Tuesday night to the ER. They thought he had a stomach virus. Ended up being uh, septus, is that, is that right? And he passed away, like two days later. Uh, has a, I think a one or two-year-old little girl. And they're people of faith. 
And she, she, she didn't share this, but she shared something along these lines of God is still good. And that we long for the breath of heaven, she referenced a Phil Wilkins song. That's hard. She lost her husband. One of your daughters going to grow up without a father now. But in our waiting, in our suffering, we still declare that God is good because he is good. And so whatever happens in life, we must learn to interpret it through God's faithfulness, not our lack of faithfulness. And the waiting moments of life will determine your faithfulness. Some ways that will determine if you really have a genuine faith. Now, we're not going to take time to read these verses, but uh, in verses 5 through 19, I encourage you to read them on your own. He begins to talk about Babylon and those who are like them, basically to say that they will be punished. And so we find these five woes. I'm just going to kind of hit on the woes, and you go back and read the verses later in verses 6 through 19. Uh, in verses 6 through 8, he says, Woe to the empire builder. In other words, those who are building on the backs of others. Verses 9 through 11, he says, Woe to the greed and the arrogance of Babylon. Verses 12 through 14, he says, Woe to those building on bloodshed. And verses 15 through 17, he says, Woe to those who abuse others. And in verses 18 and 19, he says, Woe to the idolaters. And so back it's like, What about Babylon? And God says, Not only them, but everyone like them who hasn't lived by faith in the God of salvation, woe to them. Woe to them. Now, there's two verses that are, that are here that I want us to actually look at real briefly before we wrap up. The, kind of, uh, the first one comes in the middle of the woes. It's where we find hope in the midst of darkness and suffering. So if you look at verse 14 of chapter 2. It says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Let me read that again. For the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Babylon will be judged. It is currently filled with the glory of Babylon, but one day the earth will be filled with the knowledge of God. Earthly kingdoms rise and they fall, but the glory of the Lord will one day reign forever. Amen. Yes. Forever. And so this gives us hope in the midst of darkness and suffering. Amen? Amen. That we see that the whole earth, I mean the whole earth, right? We can't grasp that. We can grasp driving. I've driven across the country, right? I can grasp like the landmass of the United States, but not even that because I drove straight through the middle. I didn't go north, I didn't go south. I just went, well, I kind of went, I guess, like this, from the southeast up to the, the northwest. But you get my point. The whole earth, it's a massive place where we fill with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord. Like, man, that's such an encouraging verse. We have to hold on to that in the midst of not seeing that take place. So when we think about, let's just localize it to our country, right? We're coming up on election season, and a lot of reports came out this week that I think it says about 70% of Americans identify as Christians now. And, I, and I've got some text from family. I know my mom and dad are listening. Uh, be sensitive to that. And I've gotten some concerns from people. But here's the reality. Now, I'm not saying I'm a prophet like Habakkuk, but I think that that's very generous. My personal take is that we are less than 10% of a Christian nation. And I think even that might be generous. True disciples, true followers, true people who are apprenticing after the way of Jesus. But regardless, as we see that number go down, and eventually 50% and whatever else in these studies we can go back and be reminded that one day the earth, including the United States of America, will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It may not be now, it may not be in our lifetime, but one day, and it will reign forever and ever. Amen? Amen.
Second, there's a lot of sermons you can do off of this. So um, second, verse 20 says, but the Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. So the Lord's presence says in his temple means he has not forsaken his people. This is a reminder. The Lord is ruling, he's reigning, he's listening, unlike the idols who cannot do any of those things. And so revere and recognize him and be glad he hears you, even in your darkness, which is why you can look up. I love this imagery of, of looking up because I feel like so much today in our world, we do this. Right? And I'm just as guilty as anyone, or we're doing this. And the kids are like, hey, Dad, yeah, I'm listening, baby. Dinner, and then it's like, what should you say about dinner? Because we're so much, we're so focused on this, right? And even our problems. I'm not going to tell you what it was. I'm too embarrassed, but last night I Googled a problem right before I went to bed to see if there was an answer and solution out there, but we can look up to God. Yes. Who actually fully gets us, who fully understands us, who meets us in our trial and in our darkness. And so we saw today that God will respond, even in the wondering, even in the waiting, and that the righteous will live by faith. And so yes, you might be suffering in this present moment. We don't want to discredit that at all. This isn't a, come on, pull yourself up by your bootstraps. This is, you might actually be suffering, but God is using it to mold you more and more into his image and more and more into his likeness of his son, Jesus. So no matter how I feel, no matter what I feel, I choose faithfulness. Paul Tripp says, if you judge the faithfulness of God by how much disappointment and grief you have had to deal with, you will end up questioning his faithfulness. Here's the bottom line. You will suffer because your suffering is an essential part of God's good plan for you. Jesus' words in John 16, gives us the reason for hope in the midst of suffering. He says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Here's a final reminder for us. If you are God's child, in other words, you, you are in Christ, We know, and this book tells us, the final chapter of our life will be in an eternal paradise beyond our wildest dreams. Like, have you ever tried to think about eternity? Like, spending it with Jesus? I mean, I know the stereotypes of gold streets and all, but like, like, it blows your mind. Almost like the the imagery that Ben was helping us with this morning, that place of peace and that place of relaxation. My mind went to Hawaii. Okay, it's no secret, when I went to Hawaii, I really enjoyed it. And Jesus met me there. And so I think heaven might be a little bit like Hawaii. But you think about that place, and like, it's going to blow that out of the water. But we must understand that this present moment is not it. And I think that's part of the problem, is sometimes we try to make this present moment this life. I know we talk about being like important like it is in heaven, but sometimes we try to make this heaven. And we try to make our lives, our jobs, our families... Our, our situations like, okay, well, I'll make this the best version it can be because this is the best that it gets. No, 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 that's the way of the world. That's the Amen. way that the world lives. Amen. Amen. It, it does get better. You might go through hell to get there, but it does get better. This sin-broken world is populated by sin-scarred people. Can I get any hands? Do I have any sin-scarred people in here? Every single one of us. And it will never be the paradise that you and I long for it to be. 
It'll never be that picture that, that we want to make it in our mind. That means that God's using everything you're going through, every trial, every tribulation, every good thing. There's meaning and purpose behind it because God's using all those difficulties and this fallen world to change and mature us to look more and more like Jesus and to make us ready for the world that is to come. Okay? I think about my three children. I've been told I should talk about my children in sermons, so I try to leave it alone sometimes, but they're all in school. Right? A couple of them are elementary school, and now one of them's in middle school. There's a lot of trials. I, I was never a fan of school. There's a lot of trials and tribulations through school, right? You're learning things, and you go through, but it, it makes you into the eventual student you need to be and eventually the adult you need to be. All the trials and tribulations we're going through is preparing us for that eternal paradise that is to come. And as we face hardships today, and you might be in one of those seasons, there literally might be something that's heavy in your heart today. Remember, we are sojourners on a journey with a future glorious destination to come. Amen? Amen. Now, if you are not God's child, the simple invitation is to have faith by putting your trust and hope in him and him alone today. It's as simple as that. At least the start of the journey. Doesn't mean your life's going to get easier. Doesn't mean it's going to immediately get better. Eternally it will, but in the moment. But it's as simple as putting your trust and hope in him and him alone today. So here's how we're going to end. I'm going to pray for us. Ben's going to come back up and lead us, I believe, in two songs. Uh, and we don't get to do this on a weekly basis, but if you need prayer for something, maybe you are going through a hardship, maybe you are going through a trial, maybe you have a sickness, maybe you have an ailment, maybe you see somebody to talk to. I'm going to make myself available. I'm just going to stand in the back. And it doesn't have to be weird or awkward. It's okay if nobody does come back there. I can sing songs of Jesus back there. But I just want to make that available to anyone and say, you know, I, just, I would love someone to talk to. I'd love somebody to respond. And if it needs to be a further conversation, it's no secret that I love coffee and I love going out for coffee. So we can always set that up as well. <laughs> I'm going to pray for us and then Ben's going to come out, come back up and so God of heaven, we come to you being reminded of your faithfulness to us. God, even when you seem silent, even when you seem distant, the reality is that you are there and that you see all. God, you know what we don't know. God, we believe, but help our unbelief. I pray for everyone in this room this morning, for those joining us online, for those that will go back and hear this on a podcast or on a YouTube channel. God, life is hard. There's suffering, there's difficulty, there's uncertainty. But God, may we be reminded that you're using every circumstance, every situation, to mold us, to shape us into your likeness. And God, for those of us who are your children, who are in Christ, this is the worst it's going to get. God, you are preparing a place. And God, as the author and perfecter of our faith, that you will see it through. It's in your name, through your power we pray. Thank you so much for listening. We'd love to hear how God is working in your life. You can connect with us and find more available teachings and resources at our website, sojournpdx.org.